everybody. Welcome back. This is a very, very special edition. This is what we call, uh, you know how Showtime Boxing has Showtime International Boxing. And uh, I think HBO might, no, HBO didn't have a version of their international. But we have an international podcast this time. We have brought on none other than uh, a resident of Las Vegas, Nevada, one AD Al Dawson of Insider.com. Al, how's it going? Oh, really good. You know, I'm kind of disappointed that this is the, the first time I've been on the show when you've been my agent for probably like three, four years. You know, <laughs> th- I'm not going to really speak on business matters in a public setting, but I'll make an exception for you. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Uh, you know, I-, I just thought that maybe you were busy, like, actually writing. Because I will say, not not to put you over, you know, as somebody who has a vested interest in your career, I mean this sincerely. I think that you were one of the few people that remain. You are in a sport, in a niche sport where everything seems to be dwindling and there's always this negativity around it. Um, but you are one of the remaining few writers in boxing who's actually like trying to tell the stories. It's not just sources. You don't just break news and then call it a day. I've never seen you write an article, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I've never seen you write an article based off of some interview, some quote that a fighter gave to uh, a YouTuber, which, I mean, there's nothing really wrong with that, but at the same time, it really is kind of doing the bare minimum, you know? Uh, You're actually going out, going to the gym, stuff like that. No, you're a sweetheart. I appreciate you saying. I mean, I definitely do a mixture of... uh, all of that, you know, I kind of do, if, if there's an interesting line that's, that somebody's given someone else, I'll, I'll, I'll take that and run with it, but, um, and, and do a little bit of sources. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I've got, um, I don't buy into this, you know, let's take a break from the boxing matrix. We don't need to do that. There are some, uh, really. <laughs> <hot fights. laughs> that was, that was out. good. That was good. That was good. <laughs> All right. You just endeared yourself to anybody listening to this because anybody who listens to this probably got the reference that you made right that there. Was a, that was that a good was a one. Bar. That yeah. was a bar. Uh, if you're firing out at this time, you're a numbskull because like next month, this time next month, Benavidez plant. The month after that, Tank Javonte. Uh, uh, the month after that, potentially uh, Devin and Lomachenko, wherever that lands. But, you know, boxing's hot right now. And it's um, I, like you mentioned about me being in Vegas. I know this might be sacrilegious uh, saying it on this show, but since moving here, it, I was surprised that it is really an MMA town. Uh, like oh. UFC really it is. It's true. You have, it, it, it's since I've been here anyway. I don't know what it was like pre um, January 2022, but um, there's so many UFC has so many events here. They've got four pay-per-view shows a year. They do like Two shows a month at the Apex in Vegas. That is, PFL has got a residency here coming up. But you know, for the first time um, since I've been here, it feels like boxing is going to be on a really good run. With uh, uh, you know, not just kind of like the small hall shows that uh, you know that you see up and down the strip. That 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 surprised me as well. How many of those that there's that that there were, Um, but just these big marquee events where boxing can kind of reestablish a bit of dominance over mixed martial arts. now, correct me if I'm wrong, but you yourself were sent, I presume, by Insider to the Middle East to cover UFC events. Do I have my information correct? Uh, yeah, I mean, I pitched it saying, you know, we should, uh, you know, go and cover this. Um, and that, yeah, they, they, 
they funded it and and uh i i, I went over there were um, you at all worried because you are the only boxing writer that I know of with a pretty large platform that has not just kind of, you know, reported like, you know, this is kind of what happened with the Kinahan situation. And yeah, he's, you know, running a cartel and all this stuff. Um, but you're the one, like, you've actually been critical. You've told the story and you followed it every step of the way along with the Irish crime writers and other like major outlets that do like legitimate investigative journalism. Were you at all worried when you went to Abu Dhabi that uh, one Daniel Kinahan was going to have you smoked out uh, when you least expected it? <laughs> yeah, so for like a few layers to that, I was actually more like considering the time that it was, I was actually more worried about COVID looking back. Um, <laughs> so at, like at that time, we were having lockdown. That's our real enemy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, it seemed at the time. At the time, we were having lockdowns, and I don't. I, I think uh, from March until I'm not sure when we flew out. Um, I think it was June-ish. Uh, I hadn't left. I'd obviously left my house, but I hadn't left the town or borough that I lived in in London. I hadn't been on a bus. I hadn't been on a train. You know, me and my wife had been outside, and we, you know, seen friends locally. But you know, that was the furthest I'd been. And then all of a sudden, I was, you know getting on an Uber, going to the airport, getting on an aeroplane, going to somewhere I'd never been before uh, in a bubble, you know, in a bubble environment that I didn't know what it was going to be. I was, I was more concerned about that. But then as we were there, I was way safer with COVID there. The, um, yeah. you know, the sort of, um, you know, regulations and whatever they had in place uh, and the testing. Um, I, don't, I think there was like maybe one or two people that might have had COVID and there was like tens of thousands of people. One was Dana White. <laughs> <laughs> in this operation I, I i think he had covid but i don't think he had it on fight island um no didn't he was it was it isn't that when he showed up and was just like i'm not wearing a mask yeah yeah I, I had to wear a mask you know everyone everyone was supposed to wear a mask dana white never did um uh, but yeah it, it did cross my mind that that was going to be the closest i was ever going to be at that point to or knowingly to daniel kinahan because abu dhabi and dubai uh are quite like, you know, in the, in the landscape of geography, they were pretty close, um, you know, it's like a lot closer than Vegas and Los Angeles. It's probably more like Vegas and uh, or, uh, Los Angeles and uh, I don't know, probably even um, San Diego or something. Um, but uh, and Daniel Kinahan had a fighter on the card or one of the events, Manir Luzes, uh, and I'm sure he had other, um, you know, athletes that were involved or, you know, had been training at MTK MMA. But again, it just went back to like the, the, there was such a big police presence in the um, in the bubble. Like, you know, uh, as soon as we got off the plane uh, for the first fight island in Abu Dhabi, it was just, um, you know, we had to wait like maybe um, 30 minutes to an hour in this coach that was, you know, basically like under like armed police to get our chaperone to then take us into the bubble. Uh, and then when you're in the bubble, that was all like, our, you know, there, it was such a big um, police presence that, you know, someone like Daniel Kinahan, if he was going to go in, he certainly wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't have been able to go in with, you know, anything that he was going to cause any trouble to a random reporter who had been reporting the truth about him. <laughs> Do, uh, was it on Fight Island when uh, you, like, asked the hard questions about the the Kinahan connection and then you got called, like, a prick or something? Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, I probably did get called a prick, but I'm not sure if that was. Uh, I'm not sure if that was like um, if I heard it. Um, but yeah, I was asking Darren Till whenever he was on. Maybe he was on the first Fight Island or the second. 
uh, but it was at a time when I'd already started reporting on Kinahan. Um, like not just one story. I think it was like you, you know this had been coming thick and fast now, um, and I'd even um, I think Darren Till even posted a picture uh, with Kinahan at this point. Oh, is that was that the one where he was wearing the bulletproof vest? Unless I'm getting my timeline mixed up, that was definitely one of them. And then before that as well, I think, I'm sure he said he was that he had a management advisory relationship with him. So that's one. Of, that was one of my questions, uh, and he said, "No, I'm not. He's not my manager or, or advisor. He's just a friend." And then I just said, "Have you got any? Did he give you any advice on this fight?" And he was like, "Yeah, just go go kick his fucking head in." Um, and that was that was pretty much it. So Darren Tilden, he was he was fine with me. It wasn't really like putting him on the spot. It was just kind of like getting to understand what his relationship was with, you know, this character who had really poisoned uh, not just British boxing, but U European boxing and parts of um, American boxing. Well, I mean, this is probably getting way off into a different type of podcast than the one that we intended to do. But I mean, you are a good person to have, but in my opinion, like the influence of MTK and Daniel Kinahan overall, I think has done it like tremendous harm to UK boxing. Um, and if you look, yeah, yeah. Well, I would just you know just to add on because you can probably speak way more to this given. Uh, I mean, we can all hear why, but um, I just you just look at the amount of guys who were able to draw on a sort of regional level in the UK that is all evaporated you look at the fragmentation of the entire scene uh you had before eddie hearn and frank warren who did both of them did a really good job promoting domestically in the uk so that they were both able to put events on hearn more so and then with the kinahan influence in um really causing this like bifurcation of fighters from being with uh, aligned with him versus not and then spreading that money around while also dragging people over to fight in the UK, you now have the ability of a, a, a Wasserman who is clearly tied to Kinahan. You have Boxer, clear ties, I think, as much as they're going to come out and say it, uh, there's just a little too much smoke to that fire. You now have four major outlets serving one small-ish um, place in the UK, and now it's like, where's the next major star that's going to develop you know josh taylor didn't turn out to be that guy um connor ben is uh still i mean i heard he's still writing out his uh i'm innocent note that he's going to post on a story later mm -hmm. um you know who else is there <laughs> i guess tommy fury oh man that's i mean that's um i don't actually mind how we re like i kind of this is completely tangent now but i don't actually mind how tommy fury reacted to beating jake paul because like there must have been a hell of a lot of pressure on him from his own family you know saying that you know he's not going to have the fury name they, you know all this sort of stuff and then uh you know he was almost bullied into taking that fight uh because I, I don't think he's really sees himself maybe he does see himself as a fighter but he certainly doesn't see himself in the same vein as how tyson sees himself as a fighter i think um you know uh Oh, I've forgotten his name now. Not Huey. Uh, who's the Fury that just beat uh, Jake Paul? Tom. Tommy. Yeah. Tom. Uh, yeah. I, I, you know, I kind of see him more as a um, reality TV star who who boxes. You know, like how Jake Paul is a creator who boxes. Um, but yeah, I, I don't begrudge him celebrating and and crying and all of that emotion coming out because uh, I feel like that was probably quite genuine and that was a massive relief off of him. 
with the amount of people that would have been going up, up to him in the street telling him he bottled previous negotiations, which I kind of think he did. Like, uh, you know, that fight was originally supposed to happen over here on Showtime. Um, and then Tommy got, uh, you know, declined an Esther visa. And, uh, well, apparently that's what we're led to believe, that, you know, if he wanted to solve that situation, he could have. Um, and he's never really been on the books of MTK or anything like that. He's just linked to Tyson and John through the Fury surname. But um, he's definitely not going to be the next British star. Uh, Conor Ben could have been, but like, he, he's he's toxic now. The You know, testing uh, positive twice, two different times um, uh, for performance enhancing drugs and just the general reaction uh, in, in the months since. Uh, it, to me, the... It, it seems like um, that's put off, you know, a significant amount of the public mm-hmm. uh, in, in not just in, in England and in, in boxing, um, you know, more broadly speaking. But yeah, I've, I've, I've wondered where the next UK star is going to come from. I sometimes think uh, Eddie Hearn and Matchroom don't have much uh, experience taking a talent from scratch and building that talent into a, you know, superstar like how Top Rank, you know, does you know I'll bring uh, you a superstar in a very long time over, my friend over, over and over again I, I feel like they've got a few uh, on their books that could burst out um but you know uh matchroom did do, in, in fairness to them did do a good job of Carl Froch uh I don't, I don't really give them credit for Anthony Joshua because I, I feel like he he could have gone with anyone and he still would have um probably end up fighting in in stadiums um but they've they've certainly given him a lot of um you know money but um, curious, you know, where, where they go with him. Um, well, how much influence did Hearn actually, or how much involvement did Hearn have with Carl Frosch? I mean, Frosch, I, I don't think was always with Matchroom. And I also wonder how much, uh, you know, of the day to day Hearn was doing at that point, Frosch was already and, and a lot of what Frosch had, how he had established himself was being in the, uh, uh, the super six fighting in the U S have, and really being the guy that kind of gutted it his way to the final. Uh, he, I mean, Frosch earned it, I think, the hard way by just winning the fights that he needed to win. Yeah. I don't, like, I feel like, you know, on a certain level, assuming you have some marketability, and I would say that Carl Frosch has an above average level of marketability, if you win the fights that people want to see or that you're supposed to be in, it's really hard to not have that guy become a star. Um the, the the promoter he had before didn't um, take him to the level that that I think Matchroom did. It was only really since he you know got to the final and then started beating Lucien Boutte, having the rivalry with George Groves, uh, you know, ending up being at Wembley Stadium. Um, I don't know. I do give I do give Matchroom credit for that. Yeah, uh... but but I do think that's one of their very few, you know, true. Um, you know, case studies where they can say, this is what we did for, you know, that, that I don't think anyone else could have done. Certainly in Britain anyway. And, and it looks like, you know, it's a combination of things too, because like the matchmaking needs to be done properly in order to grow a fighter, uh, which is something that I feel like a lot of boxing fans lose sight of. But like these dudes as pros have to learn on the job. And like a guy may need 25 fights to get to that point. If the foundation in terms of like amateur uh, is not there. And I think they've really dropped the ball, uh, thanks to, you know, maybe it's just like, stop fucking calling Mauricio Lara up, but like Mauricio Lara has definitely derailed quite a few of their projects. Um, 
And you look at the guys who they were pushing from like a Jordan Gill or uh, um, Lewis Ritten, you know, relevant because uh, Jerem- Jeremiah Ponce just uh, fought and he smoked uh, Ritten. But you had all these guys that were kind of like there and like matchmaking. I don't, I don't even know if they were still like on the trajectory to be stars, but um, the matchmaking certainly just was not there for them. Or, yeah, I mean, they just weren't good. That's also, we need to throw that out there. And another reflection on it, I think this is the first time in a long time where Matchroom's had no male uh, world boxing champion. Um, yeah, certainly in the UK. Uh, anyway, speaking of our... Actually, <laughs> there's, no, there's no real good transition here. We're not here to well, talk I, about I, here's that. A, here's a question. Can I, I think right, this they transition it. a little bit. So we... We, ha- we hear all the time, right, that the U.K. is the best scene in the world for boxing. Al has recently moved to Vegas, for those who don't know. And he's one of the few people, I think, that can speak accurately about the differences between what's going on in the U.K. and what's going on in Vegas. And I would love to hear from you. What have you seen so far now that you're on the ground in what I think is the fight capital of the world? I mean, I've not, I've only been to, I haven't been to New York, so I can't compare Vegas to New York, but I definitely feel like Vegas is, uh, you know, one of, if not the fight capitals of the world. Um, but you just look at the power that's here, you know, UFC is here, top rank is here. Um, the gyms that we've got here, you know, Mayweather, the Mayweather gym, Extreme Couture MMA, uh, Syndicate MMA. And then there's quite a few smaller boxing clubs as well that, um, you know, big name boxers, um, you know, go to like Caleb Plant is here routinely. You know, with City Athletic Gym, formerly and now DLX, um, it's it's weird because I feel like just because of the commonality and um, you know the the shared passion for boxing, regardless of whether you're American or uh, English, um, some of it just feels the same. Uh, you know, when you're speaking to people, and um, we all have that in common. Um, I feel like uh, things are just a, a lot bigger. I don't know. It's hard to say because a stadium fight in the UK is genuinely quite um, good to be involved in, but only if, well, not only, but if you're press, you know, you've got, you're, you're on the floor, so you've got a pretty decent seat. But I don't know if the experience would be the same if you were, um, you know, paid £200, you know, which is $250 to be right at the back, you know, in the, in seat number 79,999. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I, I I, I think boxing is best in the arenas, you know, at most the 20,000 arenas. I, I, I like but boxing in Vegas. I like the, the MGM Grand. And, and it's weird because I, like, I don't like boxing as much in um, the T-Mobile arena, but I love the UFC shows in the T-Mobile. Uh, I don't know what it is that the organizers in different sports just tend to do better in different arenas, maybe. Um, I like the LA fight scene. I feel like in Los Angeles, it's more gym orientated, in gym orientated, and and fight fighter and coach orientated, whereas over here it's more executive orientated and event event um, event focused. Um, but yeah, it's, it's tricky one because I've still I've only been here twelve uh, fourteen months now, so I still I still want to take in a fight in Miami and New York. Um, uh, I want to do more in, in Los Angeles as well. Down but... to go to Atlanta next time oh, Tank goes sure. there. Yeah. Oh, mate. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You're going to yeah, need to take Lex. Hmm? I say you're going to need to take Lex. Yeah. Is that where you are? No. Uh, I'm in, I'm, I reside in New York. I'm not there at the moment, but New York is home. And so when, uh, you know, whatever we get, 
next time in New York, if you make your way out, we'll definitely uh, whatever your favorite food is, we could pull up. You know, hey, get some but, pizza, whatever. But Al in a- Atlanta may need that uh, that that chaperone. <laughs> you gotta take him to the spots. What ma- Magic City? Is that what you're talking about? <laughs> I mean, I have a confession. I've never been there, so well, I mean, I, it'd you, be it'd be a, a new experience for the both of us. I well, but. You know, Lex, you, you as a connoisseur of the gentleman's establishment, you know what I'm saying? So, Al, if, if you don't know, Magic City is one of the more popular uh, gentlemen's clubs in uh, in Atlanta, but just in, across America. It's really, really well known. I'm, I'm uh, I mean, before we jumped on the call, you did say um, you didn't want to get me fired on this call. But, <laughs> <laughs> whenever there's something that you know um if people go to and it's recommendations and i you know i'm down to uh experience all that as well i was like if yelp recommends it it sounds like it's my bag but uh this sounds like yelp is not recommending this uh particular establishment you were talking about and i certainly don't think the food is getting you know four stars or above no, the food's supposed to be fire for what it's worth. Just saying. All right. Just oh, like totally just random. on American food. I find pizza massively overrated, but I'm really into the barbecue scene. I don't okay. Know, I don't know if that's common across America, but pizza is pizza, I feel. Uh, whereas barbecue seems to be quite um, it, like had barbecue around the world and pizza around the world. But barbecue in America is is definitely different gravy. The whole pizza conversation in America is just ridiculous. Like, people be telling you meet them in Temecula over some pizza. So, you know, I, I'm not getting into that debate because I love all pizza. I don't care. Um, anyway, we. Wait, so why, why don't we transition into some fight talk? Like, there's a lot of cool fights coming up. Al's got a lot of cool information. Yeah. Some so... he, some some he can share, some he can't. But this is a well informed man. So, mm-hmm. you know. I, let's start with the big one, and then we'll kind of go into the smaller ones. And and by the way, you just spoke to Steven Espinoza. He asked some hard-hitting questions of the man who runs Showtime. Uh, and, you know, obviously is one of the few people that you can probably get any information about PBC about uh, on an executive level. So let's start here. We rewind the clocks back to December. Javante Davis announces that he will be fighting Ryan Garcia, and Ryan Garcia announces that he will be fighting Javante Davis. Only it's only like planned for the spring. We then learn that um, you know Tank was gonna fight Hector Garcia in the meantime. But before all of this, you came out and reported Tank and Ryan is in the closing stages of being announced. So I'm curious. You reported that I think in like what the summertime, maybe a little. Uh, after I just looked it up. It was October the sixth is when I published it that they were All right. in deep. October's still summer for us in California, so <laughs> I'm I'm gonna take that as me being correct. But like, so can you give us anything like what what the hell possessed you to write that article? Um, I think it was what like so I probably speak to. I mean, I'm on the phone, uh, you know, to certain people are like most um, not every day, but. You know, a, a couple of days in the week, I'll, I'll do like a just a gossip round, see what's going on. Um, and then from one side, I just heard that you know, Javon, they were key. There were talks, right, with um, Ryan Garcia, uh, not with Ryan Garcia, but you know, between 
you know, the people representing Javonta Davis at the time and, um, you know, Golden Boy Promotions representing Ryan. And I, I think it was just like within a day, I, I was just driving to Los Angeles anyway to go and see, um, well, one, I was going to Golden Boy HQ and then I was going to go see Alexis Sorocha. Um, so I just, I, 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 well, while I was in Golden Boy HQ, I just, I, you know, went in and met Eric Gomez in his office and I just, you know, we're talking about a few things and then I just brought up the, the um, Javante fight and he confirmed everything. Yeah, and that, and that was on record as well with Eric. Uh, he just confirmed everything uh, that I'd heard from, um, you know, people like Leonard Ellaby and people at PBC and um, people at Showtime. Uh, so like, no matter who, the only people I didn't speak to actually at that time was the fighters themselves. But knowing the, you know, who was involved at the executive level, it was quite clear that this fight wasn't just, um, it felt like it had elevated to a point that I'd not known that fight had gotten to before because I, I, I've spoken to Leonard Ellaby over the years and I think I'd even brought up, well, I, I love this fight, by the way. I've been going on about it to, you know, people in the sport for, since like 2020 or 2019. Um, but at the, you know, when I spoke to say Leonard Ellaby in 2020 or Bernard Hopkins uh, in that year, it was more like they were praising the other opponent, but it was just more like, we've got our own stuff going on and you do, 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 do you know what I'm saying? That there was just a difference between, you know, quotes that I was getting in 2020 compared to we're actually in deep talks now, you know, this fight is going to happen and it's going to happen next. Um, so that's kind of why I wrote that article just because it was, I'd never be, you know, I was, I was, these, these things can, uh, fall at certain hurdles. Like, um, I was really calm from what I understood. Earl Sp like at the same time, I wrote a story about Earl Spence and Terence Crawford. And then I had to write that again about two weeks later because, um, you know, Terence Crawford basically um, walked away from the deal that he wanted or previously wanted, um, you know, basically blindsiding people at PPC and Showtime and everyone involved that was expecting that super fight to have happened, maybe not now, but in the next couple of months. Uh, but those are the two big fights that I was really looking into at that time, and yeah, I was I was, I was certain that both were both were happening. I've ne I've never lost confidence that Javante and Ryan were not going to fight. Really? Yeah, especially well, they, they announced it, you know. And then no matter who you spoke to on either side of the street, uh, and you know, people at PBC or Showtime or DAZN, they, they, it was clear they wanted it as well. And Golden Boy, sorry. So, um, you know, you've got two different, you know, promotional companies, two different networks, but they were all pretty much on the same page. And then even when there was reports from uh, more recently, um, I, I didn't read it, but ESPN and then uh, I kind of want to say Sports Illustrated, but I might not be right on that. But it was like, you know, the, there was danger it wasn't going to happen. I, I made calls to both sides again. And it was, you know, one quote was the fight is done, done. And another quote was, it was 99% done. And I was thinking I could write this this story, but it was like, it's no different than what I've already got. And I wrote that in October, you know? Um, so I just kind of sat on that. And then, you know, the fighters announced it themselves. And um, it was, yeah, it was never, I, from what I understood, it was never in danger of happening. That sometimes there's like, um, there's too much, there's too much money in this fight now for it to have not happened by the time you know, even before I probably wrote that story in October, uh, as soon as they realise what they've got with this particular, uh, like, this isn't just a fight, it's going to be an event. 
as soon yeah. as you've got a kind of event, you're stupid if you walk away from a deal just because you want your guy to walk out second or um, you disagree on the rematch or, you know, these, these are really, they don't, not that they they don't matter, but in the grand scheme of things, when you're talking about, a, a, you know, an, an easy eight figure event in terms of, you know, money and, you know, how much money that fight could generate at the gate and, you know, how many uh, pay-per-view sales that could get. Uh, this this is always for me going to be one of the very biggest fights that could have been made realistically in boxing. You know, there was just so many people that were on the ledge that you know were ready to hand in their their boxing you know fandom and say I'm out of here. But you know they needed you in their ear to tell them like, hey, there's nothing to fear here. But I'm also kind of like, we probably shouldn't get too far into this. But I mean. You called both sides to verify the information. And it's totally possible you could have been lied to by one or even both sides at the time to verify when it seemed like, hey, there's weird rumors coming out that maybe this isn't going to happen. But you did call both sides and there was, you know, you were given the green light. I'm curious because the other reporting that we've read that you mentioned, and there's, I think that's probably only the only reporting that we really got. Um, it does not seem like both sides were contacted to get the full picture of what was actually going on. That's how that's how I read the situation. Yeah, but even even when I spoke to, um, I mean, I did. I can't. Sometimes it's an advantage. Sometimes it's not. But I'm quite slow. Um, you know, I'm not like, oh, I need to get this out really quick and sources and all this sort of stuff. Uh, I kind of leave it and uh, not through laziness, but just I'd kind of like to be absolutely certain and take like a more macro you know approach to it rather than just have like a 200 word story uh something that's a bit more um deeper Al, uh, do you oh i'm sorry i didn't mean to cut you no, off on. sorry you're good no i was gonna ask when you see that type of reporting does it frustrate you at all knowing that like you may have a really good vision of how things are progressing but you kind of want to hold off until you're certain and other guys kind of jump the gun and and it's not as uh, as solid and informed as what you may have. I wouldn't say it's, I wouldn't say like it annoys me, but I kind of I'd say it like it does like uh, like baffle me that some reporters would do that because I mean maybe like you only have to call either side on it, and is it like I had a one hour conversation with somebody at Golden Boy, and like it was. At the end, I was like, oh, you know, you know, can I report on some of this? And it was like, no, <laughs> no, it was basically an off-record chat. But um, it, it, it all seemed like it was, you know, it, it was all uh, it was all done. You know, there was just a contract had gone back and there were a few red lines and none of it was, I don't know, it was my understanding that none of it was really major. And that even Golden Boy were expecting it to be done, um, as were, uh, you know, PBC and as were Design and as were Showtime. Do you, um, do you guys remember, I'm going to take a guess and you're going to not answer this, but, uh, I just want to, I think I just want to get your reaction. Was the person that you had that one hour call with where everything was not on the record? Was it Roberto Diaz? I mean, I wouldn't <laughs> want to say who it was, but, um, I mean, he's since left. Um, I think he, he has since left, but, yeah. uh, you know, if you had a one hour call where somebody was airing out a bunch of things and you weren't able to report on it due to, uh, you know, it being off the record, I'm just saying. Sounds to me like it was Roberto Diaz. 
Roberto Diaz doesn't it actually even follow me on Twitter. Um, you don't I don't follow me either. Because uh, I've like met him quite a few times. Um, but no, it, I don't think it was um, Roberto. I think he'd already left by that point. I, I still think that was a very weird uh, decision to let him go. Uh... Well, it sounds like they have a lot of uh, interesting things happening happen in the Golden Boy. I mean, we haven't heard much about their deal with the zone. And the fact that a part of the delay was the fact that Golden Boy was having issues with the zone, right? I'm not sure about that, but uh, like I wouldn't be able to comment with um, complete. No, no, I, I'm not even asking you. I think like I, I was just saying, I read that in uh, Angela. Wasn't it Jake Donovan's piece on boxing scene that reported he, that? Or, well, or was it Donovan? I, I didn't Dan read Raphael? his piece, but I know that in a space, Rob Tebbett, um, who's a pretty connected UK guy, he had said that the holdup, and I think actually Dan Rayfield then tweeted it, or no, Dan Rayfield wrote it, I think after, I think it was after Rob had said it, but basically like the holdup was a, a disparity that Golden Boy and DAZN had over money that I guess one of them was supposed to be getting. I don't know which way the money was going to be going in that situation. But yeah, that was the holdup is that Golden Boy was having issues with DAZN, which then, you know, held, holds up this fight being announced, which then puts doubt into this which then you know goes into showtime scheduling which kind of messes up you know all those announcements of fights that we probably were going to get at some point that you know have just kind of like trickled out at this point as like sources tweets versus like a sort of organized like oh here's our little press release everyone join us for a zoom call and we're going to reveal the next four months of fights or something like that uh, it seems like that's kind of like one of the things that threw a wrench in that potential situation playing out. But that's all no one here reported that. That's Rob Tebbett and for Dan Rayfield to confirm or deny at this point, I guess. Although, Alan, given your Mr. Sources here, if you really wanted to, you could actually find that out. But I highly doubt Golden Boy would actually, uh, on the record at least, tell you like, yeah, go ahead and report that DAZN was holding us up like we're some, you know... Like, we're just little guy here. I mean, this is just me saying, but I, I'm surprised that um, there isn't a bigger push from design with, like, Golden Boy in the U.S. because, uh, you know, they have got a lot going for them from a U.S. point of view, like, obviously in California, but even Alexis Rocha for Blair Cobbs, there were so many of his, there's so many people cheering for Lex in that fight, like, at least five to 10,000 people in that venue. Um, and that's before you even get into... Virgil Ortiz uh, or um, Hannay Mangia, who's a big, for some reason, a big subscription driver for the zone, presumably because of, um, uh, I guess, a Canelo link. And, you know, they put Canelo in on May and then they put Mangia out in June, you know, and they try and retain um, interest from, you know, Mexican fight, Mexican uh, fight fans or Mexican Americans. Um, and who would be the other one? Oh, Ryan Garcia. You know, those four, those, yeah, those, those four fighters alone, that's like massive. Uh, for a broadcaster trying to make inroads in the US, more so than uh, what Matching USA have got to offer. Who's, you know, in the US interest, it's only really um, Canelo and, I don't know, maybe Joshua? Well, I mean, if we're like literally just, you know, sometimes you just got to look at the record to determine some sort of like takeaway. And the record usually informs you, like, you know, oh, this team is, you know, five games under 500 clearly they're below average matchroom's not really doing shows in the u.s anymore they have they announced like 
eight, nine fights, and uh, one of them is in the U.S., and that's a Bam Rodriguez in a small venue in Texas. I think that they've essentially given up, and even Canelo, um, you know, Canelo possibly fighting in Mexico, but there were talks about that fight going to the U.K. or even the Middle East. Um, I think Matchroom in terms of, like, you know, and the zone overall, I, it, it just seems like their focus on the U.S. has just been like, if we get it, cool. But if not, we're not going to stress over over this market anymore. Uh, clearly, this is not a market that's worth. We can't spend enough to generate because they have spent a lot of money, and clearly that didn't give them the results. So we can't spend enough money. I mean, really, we just can't afford to spend the money it's going to take to build the following here. Uh, it, this is probably going to have to be, um, what's the word when it's like not direct? I, I can't remember what the word, there's a word for it where it's like kind of not, not direct. Like, I don't know. Indirect. Um, <laughs> no, that's not indirect, but maybe incidentally, if the U S does take off at some point, which it does not look likely, uh, you know, they're cool with that, but they're not going to really waste their energy on building up this market that clearly there's not enough want and desire for it. Um, but yeah, I, you know, so the fight is announced and all this stuff. Um, but you talked to Steven. Was it today or yesterday? Uh, it was today. On Tank and uh, Ryan, I've spoken to Steven Espinoza at least two times in the last three weeks. No, four weeks. And some of the stuff I've already peeled out from like different um, topics that's already published, but I was I was keeping hold of what me and him had talked about with um, Ryan and uh, Tank and then just added a bit more. Like we didn't talk too much today about Ryan and Tank just because I'd already spoken to him about it and I didn't really feel like much had changed. But um, I mean, I was interested in the venue because it's, you know, there's been no announcement on the venue. We just know it's April 22nd and, you know, it's going to be in Las Vegas. Um, Javante Davis mentioned T-Mobile Arena, I think, on Instagram. And then um, deleted it, of course. Yeah, it's not. Um, I mean, that's in play. And he, Stephen said that, um, so I'm just trying to find the direct quote, T-Mobile has been very aggressive in wanting the fight. But um, there's still a small chance, I would say, that um, it could land at the Allegiant Stadium, home of the, the Vegas Raiders or um, MGM Grand. I actually thought, from what I'd heard, like this goes back weeks, not based on a call with Steven um, Espinoza, but I, I thought it was going to land in MGM Grand. But um, I guess with T-Mobile wanting to be aggressive, you know, that was his words, you know, may maybe they'll, they'll win out. Why do you, now I personally prefer the MGM Grand over, I think over any venue, with the exception of like the really small arenas that only do like 12,000 or so, and then the StubHub Center, which I don't think you've been to yet, but you got to get out here for the Fundora fight, um, which is a terrific venue for fights. But uh, the MGM is fantastic. You yeah. mentioned before we started recording, we were kind of talking about the different venues. Why is it that MGM makes such a hard push and is like usually the one that gets these big fights? I think there's, uh, I can only repeat from what I've asked, you know, insiders. So this isn't me kind of answering, but I think there's like maybe two or three key reasons. One is that they pay more because MGM Grand Garden Arena is obviously inside the MGM Grand and that's a really big uh, casino resort hotel. Um, you know, so like if you've got 
Uh, I'm not sure what the capacity is. I think it's maybe 15, 16,000. But then most of those people probably stay in the MGM Grand afterwards, whether they go to the casino floor or Hakkasan nightclub or the restaurants. So all that money is still, you know, staying in the venue. Um, so I think the casino pays more for one. Um, when you have a, an event uh, at a venue like MGM Grand, which only has 15, 16,000 capacity, the ticket prices can be raised more. Um, so generate uh you know higher demand because there's not as many tickets as what there would be at say the allegiant where the ticket prices would probably be a lot less um and i guess the difference between mgm grand and the t-mobile arena is that you know the t-mobile arena isn't actually in a casino it's right next to you know it's just behind new york new york and opposite the street from park uh mdm um so if you had that that capacity is twenty thousand people but as soon as the event finishes those 20,000 people could go anywhere you know they could you know they could go up you know right to the top of the strip and go to win you know they could get an uber and go downtown or to Fremont if they wanted so it's quite hard to retain uh you know if you've got a high roller or you know 10 high rollers who are you know spunking loads of money you know on the on the tables in the MGM Grand and then you send them off to the T-Mobile Arena with a you know really really hot ticket on the floor you know are you going to get that high roller back or is that high roller then going to go somewhere else? I think that's why MGM Grand tends to be, you know, such a, a I mean, how, how many times, I can't remember how many times I've, I've seen a fight there last year, but Shakur Stevenson and Oscar Valdez, I think was the biggest uh, MGM Grand fight last year in boxing. But um, where the, the, I mean, just going back to Stephen Espinosa's where T-Mobile being, you know, in his word, aggressive, I guess they're going to be, you know, maybe paying more than what um, MGM Grand would be. Yeah, I've I've been to several fights at the at the Grand Garden, and it really is like I I I hadn't even really thought about this, but um, what you're saying is like totally totally true. Like when you do a fight there, like as a fan, you walk out and you go stop at like those little like little you know lounge areas, like the sort of bars within the the casino, and it's just like. After the fight, before the fight, it's just all boxing fans, just people talking boxing. The boxers are there, uh, trainers and all this stuff are like just hanging out. It really is like a crazy experience to just see like, um, I remember, was it after Wilder Fury 2? Uh, just like seeing Kell Brook walking around, like really like looking like the most ordinary person in the world. Tiafimo, another one that's just walking around, like looking all ordinary. Um, I, I'm not going to say who they are. Because it's probably, uh, yeah, this is probably not cool for me to say. But, you know, there's occasionally some, certain fighters that you'll see actually uh, gambling when maybe you think, oh, you shouldn't really be doing that right now. But, uh, yeah, the, the, the MGM Grand is, is a great place to have a fight, I mean, in my opinion. Uh, but I, I get the reason why you'd want to go to Allegiant. I get the reason why you'd want to go to the T-Mobile Center. Um, not the T-Mobile Center, the T-Mobile Arena. Now, Angelo, real quick, where would you like to see the fight? I'm just curious if you uh, if you could pick for Tank and Ryan. The MGM Grand. Why? Grand Garden, man. That's where Mayweather Pacquiao was. You know, it's funny because of the three arenas, it's obviously the oldest one. And when you get in there, it's nothing special. But it, it, it I don't know. It's, it's a little, it's more than just like being, there's something different about that arena. Kind of like the StubHub Center where like, it's just like, it's a boxing uh, landmark at this point. So, yeah, that would be my pick. 
I also hate the T-Mobile Arena. It is horrible. Uh, as somebody I've who... only I've only been to T-Mobile for basketball events. I haven't been there for boxing quite yet. Um, I don't think I want to see Tank Ryan in uh, Allegiant. I don't like the stadium experience for boxing. It just it, it lacks that like that chef's kiss moment of like the buildup and intensity. And I, I don't know. I think I agree with you. There's something about, Oh, go on. go on. I was just gonna say, I think, I think in the stadium fights, I think you miss out on the intimacy. The only stadium fight I really liked was um, uh, Joshua and Usyk. And it was because we'd just come out of in, in London or in England as a whole, the very last lockdown. Um, so there was a real, like, it felt like a festival walking into the venue. You know, there were, um, food trucks selling jerk chicken and you're going in and everyone was uh, you know every there was just a very nice vibe that felt good the sun was out as well which helped um, <laughs> and it just like uh, you know even taking away people singing sweet caroline everyone would it just felt like the whole uh everyone that was there felt like they were on the same uh wavelength and it was just a very rare time in england because like in america that like you know going broader speaking in england you know, at, you know, for six years before that, it was either you were Brexit or you were a Remain or you were a Tory or you were Labour or, you know, there was such a divide, um, you know, socially and politically speaking, that that was just one of the very few moments where you had 80,000 people and they were all wanting to just revel in, you know, some good street food, some good music and then go and watch some really good fights. Well, that's all they got to revel in that night. <laughs> Uh, Al, you didn't make it to uh, any of the Canelo or Errol Spence fights in uh, AT&T, have you? No, no. The, I did. The, I went to both the Canelo fights in the T-Mobile last uh, in May and September, but I haven't been over to Texas yet. What okay. was the uh, which fight was more dead, the Bibble one or the Golovkin one? <laughs> uh, I, I like. I think I had higher expectation. I had really high expectations, so I was actually quite disappointed. I, I, I turned up like for the whole fight week, it just felt like a big boxing show. Uh, and I was expecting it to be a transcendent sports event. Do you, you know what I'm saying? It's like it, when I went to Wilder Fury 2, that felt like it had really transcended. It felt really big. Um, I, I get the, I, I think uh, Ryan and Tank will, will have that. You know, um, within weeks, I think we're going to start seeing more um, people on NFL players talking about it. and you know, musicians and actors, and we're probably going to see quite a, I mean, uh, Stephen Espinosa even said that today, he's already getting quite big celebrity requests for tickets. Um, I didn't really feel like we had any of that with Canelo. And going in, I was thinking Canelo was the face of boxing. Uh, and I just don't feel like those events in particular reflected that. Yeah, I've been to a few Canelo fights before. And like, uh, I remember before the second Golovkin fight there was like this impromptu it was probably at like three o'clock in the afternoon maybe four there was like an impromptu parade uh coming down uh the main street Las Vegas I think it's Las Vegas Boulevard the main street you know to go to the T-Mobile arena there was like this impromptu um parade with fans with like Mexican flags and stuff like that just like kind of like walking down the street and uh it was it, you know it's a really cool experience but those fights did not come off the way, let's say, the first Golovkin fight did, um, or the second Golovkin fight did. Now I, I went to the first Golovkin fight, not the second one. Um, 
but the the fights just did not come off the, that way on TV. So I'm just curious, like for you inside the arena, you know, obviously one of them Canelo lost, and it was very clear early on that the fight was getting away from him. So there wasn't much to cheer. Uh, but you know, obviously this is Canelo, the biggest star in boxing. Uh, although his grasp may slowly that, that be slipping will be away. Challenged in a, in like two months. Well, I, I think I think it's pretty clear that while Canelo does have the longevity, and we're not ready to knock him off the the top of the mountain at this point. But the peak that Ryan and, and Tank are about to hit is certainly going to be a higher peak than what Canelo has done in quite a while. No, no. Say. Whoever wins is knocking Canelo off the peak. Um, now, the, now, the question, though, is how long can they sustain that position? I, I, I Go on. Sorry. I was going to say I agree with that because if there was a, like, I know it's a really cliched way of, looking at it but if there was a boxing video game that was going to be launched in september you know who would be the face i think it would be the winner of javante and ryan neither one is with daniel kinahan so they would not be on the, face, the, the cover of that uh, game but uh no I, I i also disagree with that you know the face of the video game would not be tank or ryan who would the face of the video game be oscar and his fake abs <laughs> I was waiting for you to say the uh, the B10 uh, logo. <laughs> no, you, bro, you saw Oscar uh, shadow boxing to the TV recently. That was ridiculous, dude. My guy was uh, he 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 was tweaking. No other way to describe what we saw there. Well, guess it's only going to get better as we get closer to the fight. I mean, can you? Will they even let him on stage for the first press conference? He is not gonna. I, Oscar might check himself back into rehab with the with. Remember Mayweather Canelo? He checked himself into rehab. They probably told him like, "Hey, you cannot fuck the money up here, and you need to go. Just you need to go. Just one. stay over there. Just do not come out. We're trying to make oh. money here." Oh my God! They should uh, they should put him in like a mascot outfit. <laughs> Remember the um the skeleton guy that used to be at all the Golden Boy events? They used to do the walkout. Could you imagine if that's awesome? This could be Oscar. De La Hoya walks out in the skeleton outfit and then takes the thing off in the middle of the ring with Ryan. He's oh gonna God. be uh, ah, what's the guy's name? Uh, from uh from Coco, the main character's uh ah God, I don't know. Al, do you know what we're talking about the skeleton outfit person or no? Yeah, yeah, I love it. Okay, okay, just making sure. Uh, no, that was a great time in boxing. Just a skeleton dude just popping up for no real particular reason. The dude's name was Hector in Coco. Uh, all right. Um, why did Benjamin Bratt play Ernesto De La Cruz? I don't know. I, I actually doesn't make sense. Um, all right. Any any other things that you you learned from the conversation with Steven? Any um, tidbits you could share with us? So I've got the. Let me just go into the Showtime schedule. So one of the things, I mean, uh, so just a few highlights. So I'll run through these quickly. But March 25th, that pay-per-view, I feel like that card is is uh, awesome. Jesus Ramos and Joey Spencer, Benavidez Plant. Uh, there's then a show box on April 7th. Oh, and then another uh, championship box on the very next day. Fundora's back. Um, then we've got Javante Davis, 22nd. 
with Orlando Romero headlining a fight off a loss, taking a title fight against Alberto Coelho, May 13th, and then there's Showbox June 9th. Um, yeah, so one of the th- so running through that, one of the things that jumps out is that there's still, even though there's some really nice fights there and some big name fighters, there's still um, kind of testament to how big the roster is. But uh, Errol Spence isn't on it. Neither Charlo brother is on it. Uh, Jaron Ennis isn't on it. David Morrell isn't on it. Danny Garcia is not on it. And they've all got fights to be announced. So Jamal, no, sorry, Jamel is very likely to fight the winner of Tim and um, Tony Harrison. And that will probably be well, July. Can't remember. I don't think we, don't think there was a commitment on when Jamal would fight, but he's coming back as well. I'd imagine he would fight on Juneteenth. I feel like that's his date. Right. So Although probably... only fought on it one time. There was it, there was a, there was one that was organised, wasn't it? And then uh, was he injured for? Correct. Um, yeah. But I, I think he likes. I think he likes having ownership on that date. Um, Errol Spence Jr. and, and Keith. I'm not like. Um, so his direct quote was, "We're in the process of finalising Errol's next fight." Um, didn't say whether that would be Keith, but. Uh, that that will be announced. Um, I'm Keith not, Thurman I, or Keith Eidick? <laughs> Who would you <laughs> think? I don't know. Chris, I, Keith Eidick looks at me sideways one more time. I, I'm bound, I'm you know I might say him. You could have Keith Thurman with Keith Eidick in the corner. <laughs> um, yeah, I imagine that that's the fight that's probably going to happen, given the WBO's ruling that they're ordering Alexis Rocha and. Uh, Terrence Crawford. So it's pretty clear that that's probably the most likely route both of those fighters are taking. Uh, and, and at this point, I'm like highly skeptical that the Crawford uh, t- or Spence and Crawford will ever fight. I, if Crawford signs with Golden Boy and gets um, and fights Lex and then Virgil, um, like outside of Spence, I feel like that's quite acceptable. I like, like, I like Rocha. I like the fight for him, but to go to then get uh, if he beats um, if Crawford beats uh, Rocha, and then you know, I, I'd I'd be surprised. I'd be amazed if Godboy didn't then you know organize the Virgil the Virgil fight. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, by by the time we would then get to the third fight, if if they have a three fight deal with Crawford, you know that we're then looking into you know maybe next summer, so twenty you know midway through twenty twenty four. By that point, Errol's probably already at least fought at least twice at one five four. Is he going to go back down to one four seven? I very uh, probably not. I remember when um, you know it was that the, the, those negotiations you know failed so publicly, um, and I spoke to Sebastian Fundora a few times in twenty twenty two, and you know he's keen to fight anyone. Even like at one five four, you look at him and he is like hilariously tall uh, for a one five four fighter, and it's amazing that he thinks he can fight at one four seven, and that one four seven seems to be a more viable weight class to dip into than say one sixty. Um, but he like he's keen to fight. Um, you know, he he said repeatedly through last year that he'd be keen to fight Spence and um, Stephen Espinosa on uh, Pandora said. 
he's come a long way in a short space of time, burst onto the radar and has been getting quality wins. I do not believe it, it will be long before we see him in a title fight this year. So, um, you know, whether that's uh, Jamel or, yeah, or or he goes for Spence. But the reason I mentioned him is because Spence actually liked a tweet that I put about them fighting each other, Fundora and Spence. So Errol clearly likes the idea of fighting Fundora. Um, and then it just depends on how all these sort of fights play out, I guess. But um, yeah, I, I, like there's so many options for Errol at 154 um, outside of, you know, he doesn't even need to then, you know, challenge. Not that I think he would fight Jamal. I think Jamal would go up to 160 and then, the you know, those belts would kind of become vacant and then um, Errol would kind of gobble up one by one. Um, but yeah, the only I think the only way we see Errol and um, Terence is if, it happens at one five four, or it happens. Uh, <clears throat> I I really don't see it. And also, we have to factor in, you know, Errol's quite uh, got bad luck. So, you know, you said he by that time, you know, fight twice. I mean, you're not factoring in this dude being like, you know, hit while he's riding a bike. Yeah, a, a magnet to car accidents. <laughs> <laughs> he's just got magnets of fiberglass and and the cement because <laughs> dude is out here just like with the worst of luck he i mean next thing he's gonna get bucked off of a horse i was about to say yeah pulling up a horse yeah uh all right um <clears throat> let's see anything else before we let you go we, had, we were gonna talk about something else but i think we've gone a little too long here uh i've heard a rumor of about david morell's next fight which i can't repeat but um, do you just based off of your, you know, just gauging the temperature, do you think that David Morrell could possibly be fighting Demetrius Andrade next? Uh, that's a good shout. I didn't I didn't get a, a gauge on opponent, but um, I got the impression that these fighters who haven't got an out, a bout booked on this schedule up until June 24, um, that they would be fighting after that. So that could potentially be about that happens July, August. He tweeted in Spanish, but essentially the translation is like, he's got something big. And and I think big is relative to what he's done thus far in boxing, which is, you know, he's headlined a couple of cards, but against no, like he's not fighting names. So like my thinking in interpreting his tweet is he's got a name as an opponent. Andre obviously fits that category, but I think there's a few guys also that could fit that. Uh, if Anthony, I don't think he's awake yet, but I mean, Anthony Durrell also would <laughs> technically count as a name, uh, but I don't think it's him. Um, but so he's either got a name or like he's going to be back on Errol Spence's undercard or something like that. So I don't know. I just wanted to throw that out there. Um, so yeah, any final words uh, or any any final things for you, Lex? Uh, one last question for Al on the way out. Of the fights that Showtime leaked today through whichever sources, which are you the most excited about? I, I hate to be cliche, but oh no, I, I know, actually, Benavidez plant is already quite spicy, and that could spill over quite, like, in a way that um, we don't see too often. Like, bad blood can go... Uh, like some people don't buy it sometimes, but when it comes to Benavidez and Plant, like they, those two guys 
I feel like that fight could be determined by whoever holds their call, and that could, that could technically the you know whoever loses could probably lose it like now or in the next you know twenty days rather than in the ring because whoever fights angry or um, you know whoever gets Mayweathered into Oscar De La Hoya or um, you know anyone who's like Conor McGregor and Jose Aldo anyone who gets under the other one's skin over the next month um, could be the one who wins. Um, so I'm really looking forward to actually seeing how that plays out because um, I, just, I, I like the rivalry. I feel like it could be really tense uh, in, in the ring. And then say if Benavidez wins, uh, there's a clear, like, clear 168 candidate for Canelo to fight. And that, that suddenly becomes a really big fight. Um, if, if Caleb wins, I think he'd have to win by knockout to get the momentum to um you know really knock on the door for a, a rematch with Canelo so I think the stakes are high um I really like the rivalry um and it, and it's at the MGM and it's I feel like it's just going to be a really good show um but I'm tied with that and um Javonte and Ryan I've been I've been like wanting to see that fight for years um you know speaking to Lena Delaby about it in 2020 you know um getting excited when I realized he was speaking to Eric Gomez in September, October, and that they were going to be putting this fight together. I, I, I'm so glad it's happening and I'm, I'm glad it's happening. And um, I mean, that, that you could put that Javante, that you could put that fight anywhere and I would have, um, you know, traveled to go, to go see it. But the fact it's happening, you know, 10 minutes from where I live is a, is a, um, you know, bonus too. I kind of curious if that did land at Allegiant. Um, I would want to see a fight at the Allegiant, but I don't really mind if it's this one or, Conor McGregor's come back against uh, Michael Chandler later in the year, but maybe neither of them end up in, in the stadium. But yeah, I'm tied between those two. I think it, you you could have just one of those fights and it would be the best schedule, <laughs> just one. But you've got two in the same, you know, 11, 11 fight, 11 week, nine fight schedule. Um, and they're, they're really, they're really big events to kind of, um, you know, frame the rest of the rest of the, the, the events around. Um, yeah, I, I like those two, even though it's a really boring answer because those are the two, the, the two big ones. But you know, I do, I do get excited about the, you know, um, I mean, I, I, I've bought a bowler hat recently, and I'm going to be wearing a bowler hat to. Um, <laughs> I'm even thinking about getting a cane as well. I'm going to turn up like, um, you know, something out of a, uh, you know, I'm going to either look like an umbrella salesman or, uh, you know, you'll look like you're about to just like put Batman through hell. Yeah, yeah, that's me. <laughs> that to me is like you know a dress up um you know that that's the glamour in in this in this sport i love it uh now you you brought up the ufc um don't they have a pay-per-view coming up this weekend yeah john jones and cyril gann that's a that's a big show as well i mean we won't be watching that because we will be watching maxile and figueroa which is going to be a much better fight i've never watched a john jones fight and thought it was entertaining Depends on the John Jones fight. There were times like his his fight with uh, Gustafsson, which I thought was like five years ago, but it turned out I think it was 2011 or 2012. Um, that was a bloody war. And um, I don't think we're going to see that Jones, but there is a curiosity here because he's still probably in the prime of his life. He's not fought for about three years. He's genuinely, uh, if he's not the GOAT, he's one of only like two or three people who have got a claim to be the, the best mixed martial artist of all time. Um, and he's coming back. At heavyweight, weighing in probably fifty pounds heavier than he ever has before, um, against a guy who's um, quite fluid for for a big guy in Cyril Gann. 
I Any definitely would have preferred to have seen it, um, Francis and Ganu, but uh, I, I still think Jones and, and Gan is a, is a is a big big time event. Does uh, is John Jones uh, still taking dick pills? Uh, that would be a question, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I'd, I'd I'd be surprised. Uh, just asking. No, Figueroa Magsayo. There's no way that this fight isn't gonna be a war, like. Deuce had an all-time tweet of like, you know, just Brandon Figueroa cannot be hurt. Like, he has no brain to concuss. So that dude just walks forward, absorbs punishment, and dishes it out. Max Isle's going to put that to the test because he's going to load up, which you don't see a lot of guys at featherweight, like just fully like selling out all the time. Uh, you got to be too fast to compete in those divisions to be out here loading up. But Max Isle is the rare dude who just like, just goes balls to the wall. Uh, man, I can't, I can't wait. I'll be at that fight. You'll be at the John Jones fight. Um, you know, talking about John Jones yet again, poke somebody in the eye, something like that. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, uh, the rest of that card is when UFC does these apex shows, they do for me, they have blurred a lot into one, but when, um, these pay-per-views that they have, uh, they, they do tend to have, um, I don't want to say stacked because the stacked is such a weird word to use and has um, uh, get, either gets overused or you, or you get slandered for using it. But um, one of the people I'm looking forward to seeing is Bo Nickel, uh, who's making his UFC debut. He's like probably the most, you know, the biggest blue chip prospect in, in all MMA, um, like a standout collegiate wrestler, went into the Contender Series last year and just, you know, wa- literally waltzed to manhandled these opponents in a way that we haven't really seen since like Hamzat Chimaev um, did the same back in 2020 on Fight Island. Um, but Bo Nickel is like an American version of of like Hamzat Chimaev and Habib Namagamadov. You know, this could be, yeah, potentially the next big thing in American MMA. And he's fighting, I think, I think, I don't think he's in the prelims. I think he's got the first spot on the pay-per-view. Uh, it would be the UFC's first like organic star that they've created in how many years now? <laughs> a decade? <laughs> something like that all right well let's end it right here alan thank you for coming on insider.com slash sports how does it just just alan dawson on twitter yeah yeah that yeah go go with that alan dawson sport on on twitter uh a, a very a very uh you know i i think you're one of the true good people in boxing that i've spoken to uh, and I've actually met you. Um, you know, I can confirm this. This this man is is British. Yeah, seen him in person. <laughs> uh, Reaction was, "Oh my God, you're actually English." Ah, I thought you were faking it. <laughs> I was like, "No way!" You tweet the things you tweet, and you're. But sure enough. So yeah, um, everyone, thanks for tuning in. I hope you guys enjoyed this one. Um, we have uh, some other additional podcasts over on the Patreon if you want to check those out. We, we all up in the chat uh, breaking down all the stuff that, you know, maybe we don't cover on the um, the podcast that we don't get to. So go listen to that. Go read Alan. Follow him on Twitter. And we'll be back next week.